and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Harditz. It's a great day to be great. Training camp news is in the air, and we are here to decipher what matters, what doesn't, and what's just kind of a fun thing to talk about, because it's fantasy football in July. After all, gotta love that. By we, I mean myself and Fantasy Life's finest, Chris Allen. Chris, we're back, just like we have been every Thursday, man. How's it going? I'm doing well, and yeah, the hype train is like really f moving at full steam at this point, because now that we're seeing training camp vids, all of the stuff that all of like the hype videos that we expected to get. I mean, I feel like now the real football isn't back, but I feel like football is back, baby, because when we're seeing this type of news and we're actually seeing players out there doing the things that we would want them to do or we want to see from them and the usage we would want, getting that confirmation bias like Rashad Penny getting the first team carries and all that other stuff. This is where now I believe all of the like draft season, best ball season, redraft season, all that stuff kicks into into hyper gear as we head forward to kickoff in early September. So now I'm I'm hyped to try and go through, sift through all of the stuff that we've been hearing over the last like couple of days and all that and see what matters and what doesn't. Fantasy football managers versus offseason hype, you know, the annual battle that we just have to go through each and every year, <laughs> yeah. Chris. But look, I know it can be overwhelming. I know it can be sometimes annoying, especially when you see the, you know, player X is going off this year and it's a warm up throw with like no defender, you know, 50 yards nearby him. But it's football, Chris. And I am so happy that we have it back all over our timelines. Not that it ever really left in the year 2023, but either way, yeah. always a great day to talk some ball. Let's just make sure we are talking about it correctly enough to consider all sides of it and hopefully make some actionable fantasy takeaways, as always. So, Chris, we had this all ready with a bunch of training camp news from the 26th on Wednesday and wake up on Thursday and Dalvin Cook is reportedly flying in to, in to visit the New York football Jets. Even have the Athletics' Zach Rosenblatt reporting I wouldn't be surprised if Cook's visit ends with him signing with the Jets. Now, why can the Jets suddenly afford this? Because Aaron Rodgers, who was guaranteed to make $110 million guaranteed over the next two years, cut that down to only $75 million, Chris. I kid. $35 million, That's a shit ton of money for anyone to leave on the table. Kudos yeah. to Rodgers. Like, Jets fans should be absolutely hyped. I fully understand that. It is a little strange to me, Chris, that we just had, you know, really a month straight almost of the running back pay stuff going on and just... Found out clearer than ever. You do not need to pay these guys. They have no leverage, and presumably the Jets are about to pay Dalvin Cook a de decent penny, man. If it's if he's only going to be signing for the amount that he was putting out there in the public that he wanted to be signed for. So overall, hey, if you have the money, Dalvin Cook, in my opinion, still a good football player. Why not add him to the team? I guess the bigger question for me here, Chris, is all of a sudden this kind of goes against all of the health stuff we had been hearing about Brees Hall all offseason from doctors, from Jets officials alike. It always seemed like that week one was something that, hey, maybe he's going to be slightly limited, but certainly a strong possibility. Now he's still on the pup list. And honestly, everything we heard about Javante Williams seems to be coming more true for Brees Hall at this point. So overall reaction on Dalvin Cook, the Jets and what it means for Brees Hall more than anything. I'm just thinking back to that Zoom call that all the running backs had over the weekend. I know the report came out that it was what Austin Eckler, it was Saquon, uh, CMC, a few other guys, Najee, I believe, also getting all that Zoom call talking about uh, contracts, their value as a position like to the NFL and what they can do in order to make sure that the next generation doesn't have to deal with all of that. And I'm thinking at the same time, Dalvin probably knew or at least had some sort of inkling about what was coming with the Jets. So I wonder if even if he was on the Zoom call, maybe he was like chilling in the back, just like 
yeah, you know, y'all, y'all go ahead and figure this stuff out. Like while I'm, uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to go hop on this flight here in a couple of days, you know, oh, but, um, I, I do think it's, it's, there are two, two ways to look at this. And the first is from the, the real football. I mean, the things that, you know, fantasy managers probably don't care a ton about, but it's just, what are the Jets trying to accomplish this season, right? I mean, they bring in Aaron Rodgers. They bring in all of this Packers buddies as well in order to bolster this wide receiver group that they have there. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to win a championship. They want to be able to compete within the AFC East. And of course, with this wide receiver group and Aaron Rodgers, they're set. But behind Brees Hall... What did they really have behind Hall? I mean, they got Michael Carter, Bam Knight. I mean, it doesn't really scream uh, competence, relevancy, whatever term that you want to put with it. That doesn't really give them a tough, at least a decent shot to have a balanced offense. Dalvin Cook allows them to do that. And if you compare Dalvin Cook with the rest of the free agents that are currently out there, Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott, I mean, solid guys, but do they give you that pop? Do they give you that ability to say that now this is a contending type of roster i say no and that's where i, I guess i can kind of see where adding a guy like dalvin cook gives the team that hype gives that team that level of excitement that would put them in that contending range within the afc east that they have to still get through the bills they still have to get through the dolphins but adding a guy like cook allows them to now do that reliably at least in my at least on paper from a personnel standpoint but of course now yeah of course for fantasy purposes that sucks for all of us that right. looked at Brees hall Look at the legendary upside that he potentially has as both a rusher, the explosive nature there, also the pass-catching efficiency to go with Aaron Rodgers, and now we're just left holding our bag. So we'll see. I'm I'm also of the mindset that they're most likely going to sign him, given the news that we got about the Aaron Rodgers contract restructuring that you just pointed out. What the team is trying to do this season, it all makes sense that they would do it. Like at this point now, it's just I'm I'm more upset now that I tried to at least logically reason that, oh, they're not going to sign them. They're just going to be Brees Hall. I'll just continue to draft him in the third, fourth round. And now I'm one stuck holding the bag and trying <laughs> to figure out what I can now do to salvage my, my Brees Hall shares. And I'm with you, Chris, and maybe I'm just, you know, trying to battle through this, like with pure bitterness uh, to yeah. ignore, you know, the hindsight stuff uh, going on here. I guess my rationale for firing up Brees Hall in round three and look, our medical doctors in the community do a great job. I'm not trying to, you know, slander anyone here again. We sure seem like we tried to, you know, dot our I's, cross our T's, make sure just health-wise people smartened us with that. He was going to be ready. And he still very well could be ready for week one. Like, that's not yeah. a given. To me, Chris, with this, it's trusting that. And on the other side, I think it's looking at what the organization is doing to address that depth. And when they go through free agency, don't do anything. James Robinson walks. They don't even really replace him. It was Michael Carter, Bam Knight, and obviously Brees Hall at the top. To your point, fifth rounder, Israel Abanikanda. I mean, he's had some quiet truthers along the way here. Didn't seem like that big of an investment, only adding a day three running back. Like, I know it's easy on July 27th to now be like, of course they had to add someone else to this backfield. But again, long, long stretch there, months on end, where nobody seemed to have a problem with Brees Hall entering this year as the clear-cut RB1. Certainly does not seem like that will be the case, Chris. So again, putting all that aside adding Dalvin Cook this offense great in real life there are only so many you know three down workhorses left I get it you do not need to run Brees Hall into the ground into September for a team with Super Bowl aspirations but the million three million dollar question has to say Chris shout out best ball mania four where does this leave both running backs right now because 
Honestly, we've seen Kenneth Walker and to a lesser extent, Travis Etienne fall down, you know, into the mid tier RB two range after their teams added their respective, you know, day two back again, thinking that Dalvin Cook with this, you know, just decision to wait it out and with all the cap room the Jets have, we are recording this on Thursday, so we don't know the contract details, but I'm thinking it's probably going to be six million plus per year, Chris, and I don't think that's an in insignificant amount there for your number two RB, so I am expecting this, especially in the beginning of the season, to be fairly split, and honestly, if Dalvin Cook's out touching him on a game-by-game -game basis, man, we should not be overly shocked, especially as things get going, so for me, man, I do think that Brees Hall could end up kind of more in that Damian Pierce, DeAndre Swift, Dave Montgomery, borderline RB2 range. Is that too steep, Chris? Because again, just looking at it, I feel like he's going to fly past guys like J.K. Dobbins and Kenneth Walker. Maybe the Madison Dobbins tier is kind of where he should be going. What are your overall thoughts here? Because I could see the people freaking out and just assuming, oh, okay, maybe this is Dalvin Cook's backfield now. I think Brees will stay ahead of him, but is he really going to fall all the way into you know low-end RB2 territory? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's where I could see him falling. Like just past, like where is Aaron Jones getting taken? Like fifth, sixth, like somewhere in there. Yeah, like, RB seventeen right now, next to Walker and Madison. That, that I think yeah. I was going a little too far down first. That seems like about the right range. Yeah, that's that's about like where I would pin him at, just given the type of workload that we can see, like type of touches we can see, like him having. He should have at least work mix in on the early downs, assuming health and all of that. He's ready for week one. Yada yada yada. Should mix in on early downs. Work in on in. On on obvious passing situations also swap in like once they get into the goal line and of course since he has that explosive nature like the ken walkers of the world guys that you would see drafted typically in that area that i can put a similar profile to him as i would aaron jones and i think that's about where i would put to, i would like to draft him at this point now for Dalvin Cook on the other side of the equation, again, should be seeing plenty of touches here. Do you think he profiles as someone that now we can treat similarly to another free agent that signed elsewhere in David Montgomery, again, going as the RB24 right now, next to guys like Rashad White, James Conner, Quentin Johnston, Darren Waller, or do you see him falling a little bit more, maybe into more of that range that he's honestly in right now next to guys like James Cook, Antonio Gibson, and A.J. Dillon? Yeah, I'd kick him up a little bit, like a round or two more than where he's at right now. It just remains to be seen how the Jets operate once they get into the red zone. I'm of more of the inclination that if it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be Nathaniel Hackett, even though, like, did you just see, like, Sean Payton just roasted Nathaniel Hackett in that latest interview that he did. Like, oh, my oh, goodness. I, Catching. I, 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 those I, aren't even strays, Chris. That's just yeah. like pointing your rifle right at the I, I felt, I felt bla I felt bad for the entire Hackett bloodline at that point because that man <laughs> took it to the entire family. Uh, but what they do in the red zone is going to be key for how we should treat the, their running backs. There's going to be some pass catching opportunities for sure. But if they turn into what the Packers were doing, like when it was Aaron Rodgers and, Devont and Devontae Adams in their heyday, where it was just like, oh, you know, just run a one yard slant and I'm just going to pop it to Devontae for, for a touchdown, then the running backs have lesser value. It, now it's going to get spread out amongst the wide receivers. We've been hearing stuff about Corey Davis. We've been hearing stuff about Tyler Conklin. We've been hearing, of course, Garrett Wilson and the like. But if now it reverts to somewhere in the middle, then that's where Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall can get there. So I would like to see, I would assume Dalvin Cook moves up maybe a round or two. That's where I'd feel most comfortable drafting him. Anything more than that, I think we're trying, we're kind of wish casting how good this overall Jets offense is going to be, not just the running back position. 
So last year we did get three games, you know, that were one score contests where Nathaniel Hackett had a healthy Javante Williams with Melvin Gordon and Mike Boone. And this was kind of my concern for Brees earlier in the offseason, Chris, when he was going as like the RB6, slid down to a much more, you know, affordable range. And I have been happy to draft him in round three. But again, in those three games, it was Javante Williams getting a 56% snap rate, 37 carries, 21 targets. Melvin Gordon, though, 37% snaps, 34 carries, only three fewer and nine targets. I kind of think that's what we see here. 1A, 1B, with Brees getting more of the fantasy-friendly, you know, pass-down work, but things being a bit closer, you know, in the carry department than we'd like to see. And then don't be surprised if we see Michael Carter or Bam Knight, you know, serving that Mike Boone. A couple touches a game potentially roll there. So good stuff getting through there, Chris. I really hope Dalvin does sign with the Jets after all that. And, uh, you know, also good news for Devin A-Chain truthers out there. Miami running back, you know, hoarders over there in the late rounds. Does seem like that. Hey, we could actually see most Wilson and A-Chain being the only dogs over there. Mentioned him a few times before, but Javante Williams on the other side of this whole thing is getting some pretty great years. Unlike Brees Hall, he has avoided the pup list and he practiced and he seems to be looking good. I mean, at this point, Chris, just the entire offseason has gone great for Javante health-wise from what we've heard. And again, the fact that all they did was add Samaj Piran in free agency. And even when that was done, it was like could not have been more clear from Sean Payton and even Piran himself about them just wanting to use multiple running backs in their starting offense. So I really don't think Piran was brought in to be any sort of a replacement for Javante Williams, more so replacing Latavius Murray and Melvin Gordon and some of those other guys they had last year. So, you know, last night was doing an NFFC draft with my dude, Dwayne McFarland. Really fun time. Make sure you guys check out that uh, stream replay if you get a chance. And we saw Javante, man, start to really go closer to guys. I believe it was like he went closer to guys like J.K. Dobbins and, you know, Aaron Jones kind of in those top 20 running backs. Mm. Got a discount for a while, Chris. Does not seem like that's going to be the case uh, any anytime soon. So with Javante being back, how high does he spike up for you, man? Because you start looking at, again, that tier of guys, Miles Sanders, Cam Akers, Damian Pierce, Dobbins, Madison. Seems like the right spot for, you know, Javante Williams himself. And so with Javante, talk about that. And also, if that means any negatives for you with Samaj P. Ryan, again, I still think this is going to be a pretty clear-cut 2RB system. Don't think this necessarily hurts P. Ryan too much. Maybe some of that early season upside, of course. But generally, for me, this is just great news for Javante. Yeah, and I think that's the way that we need to treat it. For Javante specifically, I'm looking at him to spike into almost that similar tier that we were just talking about, like where Brees Hall winds up at. Because if we think about how he's going to get used on the field, they're not that dissimilar in what we can expect from a week-to-week usage standpoint. Early down usage, short yardage usage, like also being involved in the passing game, all of those things worked out for Javante. I mean, we saw him having at least a solid like yards per route run, like in his in his rookie season, splitting that time with Melvin Gordon. All of that should still continue to be there for him in Denver. Not like P. Ryan is all that much better or more efficient of a pass catcher. Still solid, still usable in the passing game, but it's not like those touches are immediately going to shift over to P. Ryan. They should, to your point, split it almost uh, 1A, 1B, one with a close two, like that sort of situation, almost like what we were just talking about with Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. But since P. Ryan it doesn't have the same level of explosiveness than Dalvin Cook, better uh, better pass blocker but still i mean i can see that almost being a light version of what we were just talking about with the jets move javante into that dobbins aaron jones ish like type of tier in the fifth sixth round maybe p ryan gets a bump now also because now if we have at least a 
solid. Uh, it's like solid news on on Javante, but he gets mixed in, or we at least talk ourselves into Javante needing a few more weeks uh, in order to really get like his uh, NFL game, like or the NFL speed. He's back up into that type of uh, into that type of role. Maybe has a few weeks of the early season upside, so he maybe shifts up, maybe a half-ish round or so, and that's where I'd be comfortable drafting both of them. Moving right along, Calvin Ridley. Now, Chris, we've talked about some very actionable, like undisputable actionable information here. Injuries rule a lot in fantasy football. Oh, yeah. But we got we gotta love camp highlights. We gotta give camp highlights some credit too. And I will just <laughs> yeah. say, man, like as much as I do like to push back sometimes at these highlights and the takeaways from it. Calvin Ridley looks freaking fantastic out there. I mean, poor Zay Jones. We're talking about guys catching strays. I mean, it was just, you know, one guy going up after another in the wide receiver line. And it did truly look like Calvin Ridley, you know, was put on 2.5x speed there when he went through his route. Also had some highlights later of, you know, skying up for tough catches. It's been one of these things with Ridley, man, where I've been drafting him in the third round. I've had him as my, I think, overall wide receiver 14 or 15 throughout this Mm -hmm. whole process. And I've heard some smart people make very good points that, Kind of scared me with that, Chris. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Jacksonville. Ridley hasn't played football for some time. It's certainly not a given he rises to the top. My reason for continuing to be so high on Ridley is that, you know, if you look at a glass half full, we do have a guy that the last time he played football was pretty, pretty, pretty damn good at it. And if you do look at him as someone that can take over this wide receiver room, would it be that crazy to see Ridley joining that Stefan Diggs sort of round one conversation as Trevor Lawrence's clear cut number one wide receiver in 2023? So again, I can see it going both ways, but everything we keep hearing, man, I know we're hearing it, but we're starting to see a little bit of it too. All wheels up for Calvin Ridley, man. I don't think I'm going to be doing anything else than continuing to draft that guy in round three. Oh, man. I I feel like that's going to be one of my biggest misses of the offseason. Because uh, that, that's a tough one for me. Uh, on the one hand, my going in thought about the Jaguars offense. I mean, for, not even thinking about like what Calvin Ridley can bring to the offense like as their, as their prototypical X receiver was just thinking about that offensive line. I mean, they're going to have at least a tough time being able to hold their blocks, keep Trevor Lawrence like in the pocket. And if it's possible for him to do anything, he's going to look into the more short intermediate areas of the field that's going to benefit Christian Kirk. And with where Calvin Ridley's going, where Calvin Ridley has been uh, deployed on the field historically, it's had like a 13, 14, 15-yard average depth of target over this past uh, like two to three seasons before we saw things tail off uh, before a suspension. It just leads me to believe that that's going to be more of, like we'll just see more of Christian Kirk. And I've been targeting Kirk a ton in drafts like so far. But to your point, man, like these, these highlight videos got me rethinking things, man, because it's just hard not to see... He looks That's that a, good. He looks that good. He really does. I, I just can't. I And also, looking at the Jaguars offense, like after moving on from Urban Meyer and seeing Doug Peterson come in there, push the passing offense to where they're at right now. I'm 12th last season and pass rate over expectation. So we do know that there's going to be at least a decent enough volume to support two pass catchers. And we'll throw some targets like towards Travis Etienne as well. But yeah, given his cost right now, given where the Jaguars' offense is right now, also given uh, Trevor Lawrence and his ability to avoid sacks, I think he had one of the lower, like bottom, like top five, top six in terms of like pressure to sack ratio uh, that's charted by PFF. So all of that to say, yeah, I'm I might have to capitulate on this Calvin Ridley thing because he's just looking like too damn good at this point, brother. 
And Chris, I don't think he's going to be as expensive as he is an underdog in a lot of home redraft leagues. I mean, for example, last night, and I think Dwayne yeah. and I had like the entire offseason's ADP on or something like that. But Calvin Ridley was being listed just on the site. Again, no shade to NFFC. It's on us to get our rankings in order and stuff before, you know, we do one of these high stakes drafts. But Ridley was literally like outside the top 50 players in that, man. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, yeah, he still ended up going in a high stakes room, you know, inside the first three or four rounds at the absolute latest among the top 20 wide receivers receivers but you find yourself in a home league i mean i've seen some of these cbs sports adps out there wouldn't be surprised that off ridley is someone that again maybe you can even actually get closer to guys like dj moore you know maybe even christian kirk himself deandre hopkins as opposed as opposed to that steeper round three price so again round three calvin ridley i i get it that can be scary round four though chris i mean you're sprinting to the draft button yeah yeah i'll windmill dunk that one for sure but that's (laughs) it you make a really good point about the the home league stuff because you'd have to think in some cases drafters will look at calvin ridley be like man Ridley hadn't played ball in almost two years. There's no way he's going to be able to bring back that price. And they'll think about what Kirk did last year, especially in PPR leagues. They'll be like, oh, slot man, Trevor Lawrence. I'll take that guy over in Calvin Ridley all day long. And maybe you can get a guy like him to slide when you know he's got the larger big play upside. Nice uh, little bit of news reconfirming the uh, old priors, Chris. Gotta love when that happens. But oh, yeah. Antonio Gibson did not take long to really get some camp hype. Really from Gibson himself, just saying that he will be filling that J.D. McKissick third down and two-minute hurry-up kind of role in their offense. And that's just been as easy as reading the depth chart, Chris, because that's what it came down to. And J.D. McKissick leaves. We've seen it over the past two years when he's been hurt. Gibson has stepped into that role. And the only running back they add, six-rounder Chris Rodriguez, who Washington called you know a top 10 pick on their board okay they called him a third round pick but it does kill me how quickly teams you know managed to get every single draft pick was you know a day two guy on their board chris you know what the hell is going on with that but regardless (laughs) again when you only had robinson and chris rodriguez on the squad certainly made sense for gibson to be that clear cut uh lead pass down back in uh, today's newsletter that you can always subscribe to for absolutely free over at fancy life peter overset said that gibson feels like this year's ramondre stevenson i do think that is a pretty good comp now let's remember stevenson didn't get the foley boom until we had a handful of injuries go his way most notably damian harris who still managed to out carry stevenson in games they were active last season but also chris and full ppr we want those targets over carries anyway so hey Mm -hmm. again feels good to be on the right side of this especially with how much i've already freaking drafted gibson uh this offseason but you think there's even more room to rise chris because again i look at some earlier like april and may drafts and gibson sometimes was sliding literally into the 120s 130s at this point you know you're gonna be hard pressed to find a draft where he's you know going outside the top 100 picks currently the rb32 over underdog fantasy do you think he has what it takes to, you know get next to guys like james connor and rashad why is he gonna kind of stay in this range because i'm gonna keep buying if he does i think so actually if you think about the types of touches that a guy like gibson can get in an offense that's going to be i mean dynamic is probably the wrong word but at least they're going to attempt to move the ball down the field like through the air thinking about how eric bianami can try and integrate some of the things that he learned or brings over from kansas city put that into sam howell's hands let them see if the kid can cook and actually move the ball down the field i think so and if we already have, I think Ramondre Stevenson is actually a pretty solid comp thinking about yeah. the Patriots offense from last season, because while Antonio Gibson is not going to be the same type of rusher that Ramondre Stevenson is, I mean, Stevenson was what top three, top five in yards after contact per attempt, 
force missed tackle rate. I mean, all the I mean, bruising aspects of, of rushing the ball. But from a target perspe- perspective, think about the Patriots offense. Statuesque type quarterback running the offense. Let's say decent to average offensive line. Uh, but not really a t- like more targets that will draw defensive uh, defense players down the field, have at least more underneath opportunities for a guy like Antonio Gibson, I think the comp fits. And so if all of that kind of lines up for Gibson, who's going to fill that role, and it's not going to be Brian Robinson ta- challenging him for targets, then yeah, I'd actually do. Li- and we, honestly, we were talking about, we talked about Gibson, what, two months ago, right? So it's good to see that that's, that's the type of confirmation that we want, to see that our priors, the things that we were analyzing about the team are lining up with how the players are saying they're actually going to be used on the field. So full steam ahead for me for Gibson. I get it. Sam Howell probably going to run around a little bit more than Mac Jones and some of these past Washington quarterbacks. But look, Patrick Mahomes, we know that dude is, you know, more than fine running around, tossing that ball downfield when he does, you know, decide to extend the play and just keep the ball, you know, going there. Still got 71 targets for Jarek McKinnon last year. Obviously, Eric Bieniemy does like to keep that running back involved in the passing game. So, yep, continuing to love Antonio Gibson at that price. And honestly, as long as Gibson keeps rising and Brian Robinson keeps falling, Chris, I'm, I don't mind taking a discount on b Rob as well. Mm-hmm. Again, not overly scared about Chris Rodriguez. And I talked to Dwayne yesterday and I agree with this, man. I know, Chris, I don't think you and me are whipping out our projection models as much as Dwayne and some of those other guys, but just ask straight up, like who is projected, who has the higher median projection outcome, at least in half point PPR, it is Brian Robinson over at Gibson. So again, mm-hmm. ceiling for Gibson is the roof, probably only, you know, the second floor loft for Brian Robinson, but hey, you can still get that just fine round nine, round 10. Let's talk some Eagles RBs elsewhere in the NFC East. Rashad Penny, it's over, Chris. He got the first carry with the first team in camp. You know, you can we can stop talking about it. Rashad Penny, Eagles RB1, it is over. I kid, I kid. It was actually Swift, Penny, Gamewell Scott, and even Blast from the past, Trey Sermon, all splitting time with the running backs, and particularly the first team. DeAndre Swift also got a point where he was, quote-unquote, deployed in a variety of ways. Yes, we have a lot of good running backs, allegedly, over here in Philly. But is any single running back here, Chris, going to take the lead? Because again, for me, as much as we can talk about how explosive Swift was, we can say the same exact things about Rashad Penny in a more limited sample size because of his injuries. I get it. Boston Scott, Kenneth Gamewell, even to a lesser extent, Trey Sermon, do have the Mm -hmm. advantage of having played with his coaching staff for a while. So again, it's not so much me doubting DeAndre Swift, but would Swift really be the first talented, like really good running back to be put into a committee? I mean, we're seeing it more and more, man. I just really remain reluctant to go too high on DeAndre Swift and drafts because, again, it sure looks like a committee system to me. So if you do have any doubts about like how the Eagles could potentially deploy their running backs, I actually did a piece over on Fantasy Life. Part, that first part dropped in the newsletter from today talking about the, uh, the backfield for Philadelphia and how things could potentially shake out. And like, well, what do we know right now? Let's take a step back. They lose Miles Sanders, right? And looking at how Miles Sanders was used last season, right, he was their early down grinder. I mean, he had 74% of the carries on first down, over half the carries on third down, 70% of the carries in short yardage situations. I mean, with minor usage like in the passing game. So if we're just looking for an early down grinder, like a running back that can put them, that take them from first and 10 to second and seven, second and eight, or second, or second and six, somewhere in there. I mean, that's the type of running back that they're trying to look for because 
They still they already have AJ Brown. They've got Devonta Smith, Dallas yeah. Goddard. I mean, they have all of their passing game needs set with that duo and their high end tight end in Dallas Goddard. So all that stuff is set. And of course, Jalen Hurts and the tush push, they'll get you two, three yards at a clip anyway. So if they all they need is a grinder on the early downs, who better profiles in order to take over that role? Is it DeAndre Swift, the guy that was still battling with Jamal Williams and I mean Craig Reynolds and Justin any of the Jackson. other Justin Jackson last season in Detroit, or the running back that was in Seattle with Kenneth Walker on the roster still accruing over 70% of the early down touches last season. In the first four weeks of the season before he busted his leg last year, Rashad Penny had over 70% of the early down carries, like about 40% of the third down carries, and still used on over half for the short, short yarded situations. That guy, Rashad Penny, assuming health, like even actually, let's take health out of the equation. Just when he was on the field, he was the guy that was used in those situations in that Miles Sanders type role when he was still in Seattle. So that's why I've been leaning more towards Penny because he fits what they're trying to do right now. He fits what they need for that offense in order to keep things moving on early downs if they continue to run and then afterwards turn things over to Jalen Hurts in the passing game. And then afterwards, it's whoever can fit into the passing situations, whether it's whether it's uh, Swift, what the heck, it's Boston Scott, the giant killer, whenever they play New York. I mean, all of those things kind of factor in. But for right now, for my money, I've been leading more towards Rashad Penny. And honestly, if you're just saying Swift, Penny, hey, you out there, I know a couple of you are listening that they're going to get hurt type of people that just, you know, pick their fantasy teams that way. Sure. That way. Kenneth Gamewell, man, one of those deeper late round sleepers that you can actually feel somewhat good about, man. You have yeah. Kenneth Gamewell, Tajay Spears, Jerome Ford kind of tier of guys there at the very end. I'm probably forgetting one or two. But once you get past that range, really gets rough. At that point, you're kind of taking the Leonard Fournette's, you know, Kareem Hunts of the world and just hoping they sign with someone, you know, as good as Dalvin Cook is apparently going to be getting over there. So not the last mm -hmm. time we'll be talking about these Eagles running backs, I'm sure. But yes, yeah, yeah. so far, certainly continues to look like a committee. I will say a lot of these first team reps, it's very common um, just for teams to rotate everyone with the first team, at least for the first few weeks of practice, because you're trying to figure out your entire roster and you want to actually give attention to those guys at the bottom of the depth chart with actual good teammates to find out what you have. Would not be surprised at all if we see these things start to condense far more as we get into the deeper parts of August. Again, just something we kind of generally see on a year to year basis, but it is you know fun to talk about first team reps in the meantime, Chris, pretend like it's going to be a one for one, uh, you know, repeat oh, of yeah. what's going to happen come week one. Gotta love that. A little tight end talk now. Darren Waller, quote unquote, going to be a problem for defenses according to paid Giants offensive tackle Andrew Thomas. And yeah, apparently just absolutely balling out there. Wearing number 12, I believe, Chris. So he's looking sleek, looking fast out there. And yeah, don't really have a big takeaway on this other than Darren Waller's getting a ton of hype and is rather clearly the number one target on the Giants. Kind of goes hand in hand though with our next one, which is in regards to Kyle Pitts, another tight end who has started to go in the same range as Darren Waller. And last night in that NFFC draft, Chris. I actually got Kyle Pitts as the seventh tight end off the board about five or six picks after Darren Waller and Dallas Goddard wore off the board. So, man, it's one of these things where I've been skeptical of Kyle Pitts as a top five tight end for most of the offseason, but fully realized just how high that ceiling can be when he's right. I've taken Darren Waller because he's the cheapest option of those big seven tight ends. If that becomes Kyle Pitts, Chris, I guess I gotta, you know, 
lift those bootstraps up and just accept that I'm ready to get hurt again because with Kyle Pitts, we recognize the ceiling of it. And I think some of this discount we're getting on the injury is honestly a little bit of BS, man. Yes, he's wearing a brace out there. Yes, on July 25th, it was told that he's not ready to practice. But as of July 26th, he's out there. And at least according to, you know, Kevin Falcoholics does some great stuff for SB Nation, working without limitations. Like he, this was not working mm -hmm. on the side of the field and you know just catching passes from a trainer the entire time. Like we were seeing live team reps, at least you know with their sh you know shorts on and what have you, of him going out there and catching passes from Desmond Ritter with the first team offense. So again, let's make sure that right knee is good. Maybe it is a situation mm -hmm. where he isn't going to be at completely a hundred percent throughout August, but. The fact he avoided the pup list, Chris, like, I think this is more so people just forgetting he was coming back from an injury in the first place than any sort of actual setback. What are your thoughts on Kyle Pitts and Darren Waller potentially uh, flopping ADPs and if that's a buy opportunity for you at Pitts? Because, again, we've talked Waller up this entire offseason. Now it's more or less just us patting ourselves on the back, bringing that one up. Yeah, exactly. I think Dwayne, Dwayne had that tweet. I forget it was like months ago of that meme of that like giant scary thing, like chasing kids around, and like that's what essentially Darren Waller's going to be with all of the slot receivers. Because oh didn't my. they just add Cole Beasley like a week yep. or two ago? Did I catch that news? So they've got Darren Waller and then just like a bunch of slot receivers like immediately after that to to man the rest of it. Because Sterling Shepard, I thought, got placed on the pup list. Wandale. Yeah, Wandale also like placed on the pup list. And so really it's like Darius Slayton on the outside, Isaiah Hodgins uh, and the flanker role. And then, yeah, it's going to be Darren Waller out of the slot or like nearby. So it's like, yeah, that should be the guy garnering most of the looks. And given how he was deployed in Vegas, yeah, I think it's more just confirmation bias like for him at this point. But for, but for Pitts... I know that a lot of folks will point to the low pass rate over expectation for Atlanta. They were 31st last season, dead last in red zone pass rate over expectation last year, and say, well, it's just going to be the Bijan show, especially once they get into the red zone. But if you look at the number of targets that were the, the concentration of targets between both him and Drake London, but after Desmond Ritter took over, if they do pass once they get into, into the red zone, those targets are going to those guys. I, unless you're running out to draft Mac Hollins, I mean, solid player, and I know he won a, some people a bunch of money in DFS last season, like when he was still playing for Vegas. That's not a guy that I'm going to try and target in drafts. So I would look at Pitts because of his high average depth of target, the accuracy that we should expect with Desmond Ritter now in his first full season as starter, and all of those things, like kind of in the concentration targets between him and uh, like and Drake London. I'm more apt to swing for the fences with a guy like Kyle Pitts at that point, especially like you said, seventh tight end, like from in your draft. I would I would hit that all day long. And it's just like you find these spots with, especially like when I've been taking quarterbacks and tight ends, it's either when you hit that prolonged tier of a wide receiver or RB tier where like you just don't see that big of a difference between the top guy on the board and the eighth guy down the way. And, you know, that's why I've taken a good amount of Lamar Jackson, you know, in round three, because I kind of get past the, well, it was the Brees Hall cliff, I guess not anymore, Chris. So, you know, probably could have been drafting him even <laughs> yeah. earlier, but, you know, Mark yeah. Andrews is off the board and then I'm like, okay, you know, is Amari Cooper that much 
different than, you know, guys like DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin that I can get this time in the next round. And then a similar thing with tight ends in round seven. A lot of times you have 40 plus wide receivers off the board at that point. You know, the running backs, you're still kind of in that Miles Sanders, Cam Akers side of things. You think you can Mm -hmm. maybe get a similar talent a little bit later. So again, I'm not forcing the, you know, mid or early round quarterback and tight end. Let them fall to me because again, we do have late round outs there again. Be like water. Don't have to force it. A lot of good options. But also, don't be afraid to go ahead and jump on one of these upside guys because you buy yourself some nice opportunity costs here, Chris, in terms of especially as we transition more and more into redraft land. If I'm taking one of those top seven, eight quarterbacks, maybe even Deshaun Watson, if you want to count him in the top nine, guess what? I don't have to take another quarterback the entire draft. That's an extra roster spot I just bought myself that I can use on a handcuff RB or throw another dart at a hopeful upside wide receiver. Same thing at tight end if I get one of those top seven guys. Not playing best ball. We don't need to have two or three dudes on the roster make up for the bye weeks. We'll worry about that later, especially right now with these free agent running backs still out there man draft one quarterback draft one tight end if you're getting the high round one and then yeah throw darts on guys like kareem hunt leonard fournette worst case you cut him before week one anyway couple smaller ones here, Chris, that we can run through a little more quickly, and I'll ask you if you got any big takeaways with it. Marvin Menz is dealing with another hamstring injury, although Sean Payton said it's only going to be, you know, a couple-day thing. It is a different one, which uh, I... You know, probably not ideal. Again, not a doctor. Uh, I I don't know. I probably wouldn't be thrilled if it was the same one as well. So take that for what it's worth. But yeah, not great to see Marvin Mims on the sideline with another hamstring injury. Also, Bryce Young got the starting nod over Miles Sanders' proclaimed future Hall of Fame quarterback, Andy Dalton. So yeah, not really surprising there. Shout out to Doug Peterson for taking a bit less time than, you know, Bill O'Brien did with, with uh, Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson back in the day. Jalen Hyatt leaving practice for heat-related reasons, you know, just continues to really be one thing after another with him. You know, all offseason, the Giants beat has kind of speculated that he wouldn't have much of a year one role. He's gone from someone that used to be kind of in the top 150 pick discussion to virtually free in drafts, so buy the dip if you want. And finally, Zach Ertz predictably placed on the pup list. One injury thing that we did manage to get right throughout this offseason, Chris, was the idea that Ertz... 32 years old, coming back from a complicated ACL injury that I believe also included either an MCL or meniscus tear in there. Still hopes to be ready for week one, but again, at that age, certainly not something we should expect. And accordingly, Trey McBride, at the very end of drafts, one of many nice little late-round tight end options that you can find there in round 17-18. So, Mims, Bryce, Hyatt, Ertz, any takeaways here, Chris? Again, this is a little bit of the less important training camp news, I think, other than, uh, you know, Mims. Not a ton. I mean, Mims from an underdog uh, in BBM, I haven't been targeting him much uh, just compared to the other rookies available. Like I've been more apt to take guys like Jaden Reed uh, at that point, just because we know that he's at this point, he's indicated to be the starting slot receiver for Green Bay. Uh, less target competition, at least there. I mean, he's got Christian Watson, right? But then Romeo Dobbs, don't know how much he's going to factor into this offense. And of course, Luke Musgrave. So it's like, okay, I can see I can see a path to him earning more targets than Jalen Hyatt, who has to, one, be on a team that's going to be more towards the back end of the league and pass order of expectation, has a rushing quarterback or more of a mobile quarterback than most, and Daniel Jones ahead of him. Darren Waller and all that, like working ahead of him too. And also like we just talked about the gaggle of slot ride receivers that they've got there in New York. And especially, I mean, Mims, the same thing. Got Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy in front of him, 
Dulcich, who's going to be playing the the Joker role. That's what Sean Payton said. It's just making up new terms at this point <laughs> in his coaching career. Which I mean, hey, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame coach, you do what do you're going to you, do. Sean? Yeah. Do you, Sean? I mean, that's fine. Uh, but also, this is also going to be a team that we expect to be more run heavy as well. With all the moves they made over in the off season, Javante coming back, the addition of Samaje Ryan. I'm not seeing a ton of pass volume anyway, and since we know we've got to at least two primary wide receivers and the Dulcich also working in there. And we know that Javante and Samaji P. Ryan can work into the passing game. So haven't been targeting Mims uh, either. Bryce Young doing his thing. No, I mean, like really no surprises there. I mean, all in all, I think it all just kind of fits into what we expected out of each of these teams coming into the offseason. So as long as we're getting, at least they're meeting the status quo, I mean, meeting all of our priors that we thought of back in like March, April, or shortly after the draft, I think it kind of keeps my priors in check or it'll allow me to continue drafting as I was beforehand without changing too much. Just got to monitor the ADP. Some other smaller notes that, again, you can find each and every day in the free Fancy Life newsletter. But J.K. Dobbins and Rashad Bateman starting off on the pup. It seems like the Dobbins situation is a little bit more related to the contract than any actual lingering impacts from his mm-hmm. knee. But keep an eye on it. It also seems like Bateman, at least from what we've heard, yes, he is still dealing with the foot. But it seems like he's on the right path to being cleared just fine. But again, just keep an eye on it right now. We'll update you guys as we get more information as well. So do you care about, quick question, do you care about the Melvin Gordon signing? Because when I saw that, I was just kind of like, eh, it didn't really, it didn't really factor much into, because I almost, I, I've been drafting, I've still been drafting Gus Edwards, like towards the back end of drafts, love where he's been going. And even after the Melvin Gordon signing, it doesn't really change much about my feelings about Dobbins and Gus, to be quite honest. I mean, we saw this last year. The Ravens just love adding their, you know, 30-year-old skill position players to add some depth over here. But they had, you know, Mike Davis active and then inactive certain weeks. They had Kenyon Drake, who had a bigger role early on when Dobbins and Gus were both still hurt. But by the end of the season, when those guys were healthy, they weren't out there at all. I've even seen some of the Ravens beat writers pretty much say, like, this is exactly more so of a replacement for guys like Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake than anything else. So long story short, no, especially Chris, like, we saw how bad that, I mean, my God, again, read Sean Payton's article. Like, you can see how bad of an organization the Broncos were last year. I could have given Gordon the benefit of the doubt if he went from there to another team and started making plays. But for him to go to a Chiefs offense that had all the need in the world for another running back to step up, I mean, Clyde goes down. We have, you know, Pacheco playing through a torn labrum and a broken hand throughout the playoffs, and he still couldn't even get on the field there. So, yeah. not worried. Are you? No, not really. Like I saw that and I was like, cool, nice depth piece. Because uh, what? The, yeah, like you were saying, they had Justice Hill kicking on the roster like for for a while. Uh, who's who's the running back from Atlanta that they had for a hot Mike minute? Davis. Mike, yeah, Mike Davis. Yeah. You mentioned it. Yeah, so it's like they had him on the roster for a minute. So no, just a back end depth piece if they happen to need something. That's the way I. That's the way I was reading that Melvin Gordon signing. Right now in Bears training camp, Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman splitting first team reps. Wouldn't be surprising if Roshan Johnson, you know, makes his way into that equation as well. Right now, Chris, if I'm going like true zero RB, taking my first one, you know, pick 60 or later, however the hell the kids are going to be defining that these days, then I'll take a look at someone like Herbert or Foreman or Johnson late. But this just seems so muddled, man. It's one of the things where I can live with a muddled, uncertain backfield. Again, we've talked about how that can be advantageous for you to draft these situations 
situations while guys still have the capability of climbing. But I'm just, you know, unfortunately, as we talk about with these dual threat quarterbacks, like the lead running back in Chicago, just like in Baltimore, just like in Buffalo, just like in Philly, if you don't have that true featured role, man, it's going to be really tough for any of these guys to ever break out of that RB3 range. So I think Herbert deserves to have the benefit of the doubt there. And again, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. If these guys fall down enough down the boards, just like Raheem Mostert, just like Jeff Wilson, I'm okay throwing late round darts. But right now, man, I wouldn't be surprised if the answer to which Chicago Bears running back to target is just no. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where I'm at. And drafting any of those guys, like in those nebulous backfields, I think it does bring into what's your roster construction look like. Because to your point, if I'm doing a, a true zero RB type of construction and I'm trying to like swing for upside at each of my uh, running back picks, I might tend towards a guy like Roshan just because we know he's got coming in with the fresh legs. I mean, the size, the explosiveness, like could he be a guy that should things break right, could he take over the backfield and have 20 plus touches in a game? I say yes to all of that. So he would be the guy that I would lean towards in zero RB. But if I'm doing more of a standard build, I draft, I don't know, I get Aaron Jones and I draft Javante and I, you know, I have like at least two solid RBs. I'm just looking to rack up some touches like as my third or fourth running back in the later rounds. I might lean more towards Khalil Herbert or Donta Foreman because I just want to have those requisite touches to, uh, to, uh, to, um, to take into account the, the bye weeks, like for the guys I drafted earlier. So that's where it just depends on your roster construction. The earlier decisions that you made might uh, put you on a path to uh, trying to target one of the other profiles of the running backs on the roster. That's it. You know, it's training camp season when we're getting LaVisca Chenault getting reps in the backfield reports, oh, you know, pretty much makes some <laughs> Debo Samuel never wrong. Just early, Chris. Uh, yeah, we'll see what LaVisca I will say for all you, you know, content creators out there or just, you know, more analytical fans of the game. Look at the yards per route run leaderboard from last season with a minimum of like 15 targets and uh, right behind Tyreek Hill. You're going to see a guy named LaVisca Chenault up there. So just saying, Chris, just saying. Uh, Jordan Addison already turning heads in Vikings camp as expected. Yeah, man, what what an incredible job by this PR team, man. Whether mm -hmm. they're actually, hey, we've all had dogs out there. Like, I don't even, I don't even think we we're gonna follow up on this story, Chris. Like, Jordan Addison went from earlier in the week being the idiot who went 140, you know, at 3 a.m. Like, what are you doing, putting society in danger? To hey. My dog was sick, man. Dogs come number one. What a hero, Chris. Not all heroes wear capes. Shout out Jordan Addison. Like, what What a 180, man. This was incredible. Yeah, no. Going from, I, I heard, I mean, a lot of folks talking about just the tragic situation with Henry Ruggs, making that, like, quick comparison between the two. And now to this, where it's just the story is now just about what he's doing like on the field and which is which is great i mean that kid should probably just hand over all of his like you know his like one year salary to his pr team because yeah that's what but that's what we want to hear right we want to hear about how quickly he's going to integrate into this offense how quickly he can get in sync with kirk cousins because having in a, a that third pass catcher like within the vikings because we've got justin jefferson of course we got uh, uh, we got T.J. Hawkinson also there, so they need that third intermediate option within the uh, within the offense. And if Addison is already turning heads, 
being able to get in sync like with the offense as well. I mean, that's what we want for a Vikings team that was top five, top six in passer over expectations. We know the volume is going to be there, but if Addison can really get up to speed within this offense, ooh, get up to speed. That's probably not a, the right pun for Addison at this point. But either way, uh, if he can get in, get in sync with the rest of the offense, so that's what we want for the rookie. So, Chris, you're fading the idea that, you know, Jalen Naylor off the number three receiver in Vikings yes. <laughs> uh, first team formations. You're fading that idea? Uh, just in the same way that I'm fading Kine and Wangu, like taking over the backfield at some point this, uh, this season. So yeah, I'm fading both those ideas, which is like, that's why I'm not going to win $3 million from BBM. Remember long time, you know, three week starter BC Johnson, keeping Justin Jefferson on the bench. We'll see if Nate oh, can man. keep it going. Yep. Drama around Jonathan Taylor had Jim say come out and basically say, oh, look at all the work we did in, you know, CBA negotiations a few years ago to address this concern. Now it's bad faith for this to be going on. Jonathan Taylor's agent responds, bad faith is not paying your top offensive player. We will see how that works out for everyone involved. But yes, right now, just, you know, can't really blame any of these running backs for trying to get as much money as possible. That's kind of what it's all about. You could argue at the end of the day anyway. So go get paid, Jonathan Taylor. We're rooting for you. Bill Belichick was asked how he would describe Ty Montgomery's position. Versatile, Chris. Does seem like he could be getting some wide receiver run, but also still being used plenty in the backfield. Look, do I think Ty Montgomery is going to displace from Andre Stevenson as a lead back? No. Could he take some reps? Sure. Is that a reality in every single NFL backfield? Yes. So I do still think Stevenson is going to be the lead pass down back. Could, you know, Montgomery eat in 25 targets himself throughout the year? Of course. But again, would really try not to have too many huge takeaways from, again, what was one training camp practice there. So, again, Chris, I think we can recognize Ty Montgomery exists without going completely overboard and fading Ramondre Stevenson. Like, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm not going to factor this into my best ball approach or even my redraft approach, like not not one bit. But am I going to spend probably most of my budget on throwing Ty Montgomery into my showdown lineups at some point this season? <laughs> yes, most definitely. Like Somebody's going to win a million dollars with Ty Montgomery at the captain spot in, uh, in showdown. I can already see it happening. Heard it here first. I cannot wait to come back to this very second in the podcast, Chris, once that inev inevitably happens. Uh, unfortunate Cardarius Tony injury. We were hoping he is back by week one, but this man's ADP is going to plummet. Dwayne and I already kind of talked about it on another podcast. And yeah, we will be buying the dip once he gets low enough. But for right now with that, you know, top 80 valuation. Yeah, that's not going to work. Accordingly, Justin Ross back from that neck injury, which is fantastic to see. And second round rookie Rasheed Rice getting a lot of first team reps after the Tony injury. Chris, it does seem like, I mean, as much as the Sky Moore hype is, you know, warranted, I think, and he is a good value where he's going right now. Rasheed Rice, and even at the very end of drafts, Justin Ross, just throw some darts at these Chiefs wide receivers, man. Because again, at this point, none of them other than Tony, which is going to quickly change our price inside the top 50. And even if we've established that probably no one's, okay, definitely no one's going to turn into the next Tyree kill in this offense. We still had two top 36 receivers in Juju and B. Cole Hardman leave the room. I think at least one, if not two of these guys, again, going outside the top 50 are going to be in the weekly wide, wide receiver three conversation, at least once we can define who exactly is going to be starting. So 
I was never in on Tony at his cost just because of the expectations that would come with that. If we're assuming that he's going to be the wide receiver one for the Chiefs, this is going to have to be a guy that Patrick Mahomes is going to need to rely on in obvious passing situations to help move the chains, third downs, like essentially what Travis Kelsey is like for them. Not at the same level, right? Because if Tony was that guy, he'd be drafted in the third round, but on a similar, on, in a similar vein. But listening to some of the stuff that Matt Harmon noted, wide receiver, enthusiast, consigliere, knowledge knower of wide receivers, he pointed out that for that to happen, Kadarius Tony would have to be used in a way that he's never been used before. He would have to be running routes that he hasn't been successful at in the past. And so while folks have pointed to Tony and his like ridiculous like you know yards per route run numbers and all the efficiency metrics on small samples. We haven't been able to extend that over a full season. And to your point, with the other additions that they've made over the offseason, whether it's been Rasheed Rice, whether it's been, uh, I mean, having MBS still there. And honestly, and I'll toss another name in the hat. Richie James has been making some plays in camp, like throughout the offseason as well, too. But adding those guys that also play in the slot to replace what they've lost in Juju Smith-Schuster, I've just been more inclined to either take Travis Kelsey at the top or look at the multiple multitude of pass catchers that are available towards the back end, because we know that the Chiefs are going to be one of the offenses going to be first or second in pass rate of expectation yep. overall, and once they get into the red zone. So I can just start throwing darts at any of those guys that we can at least reasonably expect to be on the field at some point for the Chiefs. And all of those guys are, I mean, from Rice to... James to, I mean, insert wide receiver name here. I mean, outside, well, Demarcus Robinson isn't there anymore, but just, you know, the guys that I'm talking about. So if I can get those guys at a cheap price and know that they're going to be on the field, and so far most of them have been turning heads in camp and practice and whatnot, those are the guys I've tended more towards than trying to bank on Tony staying healthy over 17, 18 games, which he hasn't. Any uh, professional running backs are listening to this podcast right now, I would put those earmuffs on because Cole Komet got a four-year, $50 million extension. Uh, yeah, that one shocked me, Chris. Yeah. Nothing. I think Cole Komet's a perfectly fine tight end. I'd even compare him to Dalton Schultz, you know, honestly, and the fact that he got $50 million. Yes, he is a couple years younger, and they are, you know, planning for the future, but wow. Good for Cole Komet. Seems odd, though. This is the same team that knew that they were going to be more or less cash strapped, like as they switched regimes, so that they were so quick to sign a guy like Cole Komet to such a large extension. I, I, I just thought that was bizarre, given that it just seemed like the ethos from the team when they switched over. I mean, all the new front office, new coaching staff and all that. This is they're turning over a new leaf in terms of how they handle things financially. And to not to say that they broke the bank for a tight end, but just did seem a little exorbitant for what Cole Komet has added to the team so far in his short time period being there. I mean, he's not Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, TJ Hyde. Like he's, he's definitely not in that vein. So what would really... Uh, I guess what's what's the the impetus behind signing him for so much? I, I just didn't think that it warranted that. But okay, do what you're gonna do. But uh, yeah, he's like he's in that just average tight end range. I don't think he's anything special from a fantasy standpoint. He's nothing special. So, but that's good to see that he's able to get his bag. I think Bears tight ends got something on like Bears ownership or something, man. Jimmy it Graham does. got that inexplicable no trade clause that I just kept, you know, reminding everyone of every single week for a couple of years. Deion yeah. Sims randomly got a bunch of money a couple of years ago. And now Cole oh, Komet right. gets yeah. this. And I just don't think that the market would have been this high. But again, shout out to Komet for getting the bag. 
Last few things, uh, Seahawks running backs, Zach Charbonnet and Kenny McIntosh, both getting first team reps. Uh, who could have seen this turning into a nightmare? Again, very early first couple training camp practices. I would not be adjusting any ranks based on that. Uh, Zay Flowers, new nickname, Joystick. Shout out the human joystick, Dante Hall, back in the day. Lamar Jackson said, because of how he moves out there, so swift and makes something happen. Gotta love it. Chris, sad day. Bengals legend, John Ross retired. Any Any final thoughts on John Ross? The moment that he ran that 40 yard dash, I was like, the Bengals are going to take him and this is going to ruin my whole season. Like, it's just, it's going to ruin everything. And then they did it and it was bad. I knew it was going to be bad the moment they made the pick. And it's, it just, but uh, it's sad that injuries derailed what could yeah. have been a promising career because with a guy with that much speed, and we saw it out in the field, there were at times those flashes and you could see it connected. You can see like the vision that they had. But the Bengals' offense at the time wasn't really ready for a receiver like that. I mean, he would have been better served going to like the Chiefs. Well, at that point, the Chiefs didn't have Patrick Mahomes. But just for, towards a more high-flying offense, we might have seen just a better version of John Ross. But happy to see if you can get out of this league relatively healthy and relatively richer than with what you got in with, then I'm happy you're able to retire and at least walk away from the game on your own terms. So good for John Ross. Man, he had a sick touchdown against the Bills, I remember, in a preseason game after pretty much missing that entire first year. Yeah, I, really I remember thought that. he was going to make it happen. You know, that sucks. But yeah, Mr. 4-2-2. We're always going to be talking about John Ross at least once a year. And, you know, that's a hell of a, you know, something to leave behind there. Final note here, everyone, just, you know, a nice little DeAndre Hopkins Twitter dunk. Uh, you know, someone quote tweet a picture of Hopkins at practice saying, rare yeah. footage of DeAndre Hopkins practicing. Hopkins response, just buy my jersey for your wife at this point. I'm sure she's tired of hearing my name in your sleep. Kings stay Kings. You come at the King. You best not no, miss, miss Chris yes, and sir. Uh, Hopkins awfully Royal over the years. That's going to wrap up this edition of the fantasy life podcast. Great stuff. Chris, we'll be back again every Thursday. Like we have been throughout the entire off season. I will be back in the friendly confines of Columbus, Ohio before too long. Few more days on the beach before we get there though. So not complaining. Let the people know, Chris, what you got going on. Fantasylife.com. Maybe even what's going on in your life, man. Hope it's uh, so for, yeah, for right now, like I said, go ahead and check out the Draft Dilemmas piece. So I broke down the Eagles running back uh, d uh, discussion that we were just talking about earlier. Also took a look at the Dolphins backfield. So what are we doing with Devon A-Chain, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, and also the Ravens wide receiver group? I mean, I know Zay Flowers is out there turning heads, but is there any juice behind drafting Rashad Bateman? Should we bank on the injury hype? Even Odo Beckham now coming back in his age 30 season. So broke down those situations. And also we've got a mock draft going. I've been uh, chronicling that as we head into where are we at in that? Like seventh, eighth, ninth round, like somewhere in there. Uh, but I'll have some updates on that over the weekend. While I'm traveling, I'll be out in the, I don't know, where Chicago is. That's still the Midwest. Uh, I'll be yeah. hanging out with some of our brethren uh, this weekend. I'll probably see the Good, good old John Daigle hanging out with Evan Silva and a few of our a few of our other folks. So uh, I'll be on the road too a bit myself, but now nah, we'll be back here next Thursday to talk some ball for sure. Summertime shy, man. Pretty tough to uh, beat those vibes. Lake Michigan, go spend the day there. I'll be up in Chicago a little bit in August. So I, uh, I, oh, I love yeah. that call, Chris. Always yeah. a great day. Be great in Chicago. Yeah, fantasylife.com. Mention the newsletter. You guys know. You guys know what to do at this point. But we just appreciate you listening. So for Chris, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in to Fantasy Life Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.